Amen. I love that song. There's no greater love than the love of Jesus. Amen. Mm, it's good. Man, I love you too. And it's so good to uh, see you this morning and be with us. This is my, I was thinking about this this morning. This is my favorite day of the week. It just is. I love to be with God's people. I love to worship. I love to look at God's word. I love to be changed by his grace. And that is our prayer this morning, that that's what he would do in us, right? So I, I told you my name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors. And we have been in this series called Church Defined. Uh, you know, the church has been going for a long time. Like I said, if, if you were to really try to look back at the birthplace of the church, it probably wouldn't be where we're looking at today in Acts 2. It would probably be all the way back in Genesis when God was creating people for himself. Um, but there is something special that happened in the early church in Acts 2. When you look at this beautiful church in Jerusalem, this amazing church that God was moving in and doing incredible things in, there's no doubt that there was something special in that time. God was launching his church. The Spirit had fallen on his disciples, 120 of them in the upper room, it says in Acts. And now in Acts 2, we're seeing them really begin to, to burgeon, to, to, to grow, to become who, they, uh, who God wants them to be. And as a church, we want to kind of look at that as well and go, Lord, help us to become the kind of church you want us to be. I'm excited about our topic today. The topic is fellowship. But what does it mean, right? Many of you may think you know. Many of you think maybe it has something to do with a potluck. It, not, not necessarily, right? Well, I mean, we have a fellowship hall, right? That's where fellowship is supposed to happen, right? See, there's a lot of things in our church experience that we have defined and what we think is maybe what the church is supposed to be. And then there's often things that maybe we haven't gotten that definition just right. And so in this series, we want to look at what does it mean to be a church of Jesus, New Testament church of Jesus. What defines the church? Not uh, in America. Well, how does America define the church? Not that I'm not interested in that. How does the Bible define the church, right? Uh, many of you know I love movies. Uh, and I'm missing movies big time. Uh, but I, I love movies. And I think the reason I love movies is because I love story. I love to go to the movie. Or I can be at home, you, you know, I, I'm a crybaby. I cry all the time. But I could be at home watching a Charmin commercial, for Pete's sake, and all of a sudden I start crying because of something that connects to my heart. That's what's so beautiful about story is when it's really well written and it's really well acted and created and, and performed and, and shot and all these things, it comes together and all of a sudden you feel something moving in your soul and you don't know exactly what it is. What's moving me? What's, why am I getting emotional? There's something connecting to your heart to your life, to your experience, and to your story. And that's why you're starting to feel something and go, I don't know what this is. And then maybe through the story you go, oh, that reminds me of dot, dot, dot. It reminds me of a relationship or an experience or some dramatic thing that happened in me, whatever the case may be. Well, I started thinking about our, our, uh, our series and our topic today. And the craziest thing came to my mind. I started thinking about a bunch of hobbits. Yeah, I want to show you a picture of them, if you guys are following along back there. There you go. I started thinking about these guys. There's four of them. And they're a motley crew from the Shire, if you're familiar with the movie The Lord of the Rings, right? I know, um, let's see here, I know that uh, Sam is one. He's the guy on the far right. And Frodo is the guy out front. I can't remember the other two. 
Thank you, Julian. I see, I knew that was gonna happen. I could have told you that was gonna happen. I'm thank you, brother, for, hold, for keeping me going there. Uh, yes, they're important as well, but they're not quite as important as the other two, Frodo and Sam. And uh, this is an amazing story. Some of you go, ah, that's silly stuff, right? But there's something interesting about this story. Um, it was written by a guy by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien. Well, uh, Tolkien, he didn't just come up with creative ideas. He didn't just come up with a story and go, yeah, I want to I just come up with, what's a hobbit, right? Uh, who, uh, or what's a shire? Or all this, he, you know, he just didn't have this incredible creative mind. No, he was wanting to put into film examples of things in his own life. See those four, uh, those four hobbits right there? They represent four people in Tolkien's life, him and his three best friends. They met at this school called uh, the King's School, and it was in England before he went to Oxford. And one of the things they loved to do is, is after school, they would go to this store called the Barrow's Store, and they sold tea. So it's kind of like modern day, it would be sort of like Starbucks. After you go to finish high school, you go to Starbucks and everybody grabs a coffee and you sit around and you tell stories and you, you do life together, right? That's basically what these four young men, of course this is taken older, these pictures are older, but these were young men. And they, they shared life and they shared stories and they shared questions and they shared dreams of who they wanted to be and what they wanted to do. And they would drink tea at the Barrow's store. In fact, they even came up with a clever little uh, club, the TCBS, the Tea Club Barovian Society, which just is from the Barrow's store, right? They would sit in this store and they created this little club and they were fast, fast friends. Uh, Tolkien lived this life with these friends. He had this commitment and loyalty with these friends and so he began to write his experiences with these friends later on in life into the story that we now know as The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. The things that connected with him, the things that were deep, the things that, that reminded him of what friendship is really about. Loyalty, trust, love, commitment, danger, adventure, fear, all these things that all of us walk through every single day, he began to write into to the stories that he was writing. And he was brilliant as he wrote these things. So he, he wanted to share these things. Uh, all four of these guys ended up having to go into World War I. And only two of them made it through World War I, Tolkien being one of them. Uh, one of his best friends, J.B. Uh, Smith, you see him there. He wrote this to Tolkien just before he was killed in World War I. He says, my chief consolation is that if I'm scuppered tonight, there will still be left a member of our school group. Of course, he's talking about the TCBS. To voice what I dreamed and what we all agreed upon. For the death of one of its members cannot, I am determined, dissolve the group. Death can make us loathsome and helpless as individuals, but it cannot put an end to the immortal four. What's that sound like? He said, may God bless you, my dear John Ronald, and may you say things I have tried to say uh, long after I am not there to say them, if such be my lot, yours ever, GBS. Does that sound like a good friendship? Does it sound like loyalty? I mean, these guys knew what friendship was about. They knew what community and connectedness was all about. And so naturally, Tolkien takes that experience, 
writes it into the Lord of the Rings. One of my favorite quotes from uh, this series is from the supporting character, Samwise Gamgee. He was a faithful friend. He wasn't the main character, but he was going to follow Frodo. He was going to protect Frodo. He was going to help Frodo on his mission. The mission was to take this ring and destroy it. And the ring sort of uh, was a, a, an example of evil, which is something we all deal with. And so they wanted, to, they wanted to end evil. They wanted to end this thing. And so Sam was going to help him. Sam, this is a quote from Sam from the Lord of the Rings. He said, he said to Frodo, he said, you can trust us to stick to you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you yourself keep it. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. Anyway, there it is. We, we know most of what Gandalf has told you. We know a good deal about the ring. We are horribly afraid. <laughs> but we are coming with you or following you like hounds. Now, this is just a story, right? It's just a make-believe, extravagant film. But what, what moves us in that quote is our desire for those kind of relationships, isn't it? It's, it's for people to want to love us that much, that they would say to us, listen, we're going to stick with you through the thick and thin to the bitter end. We're afraid, but we're going to follow. We're going to care for you. We're going to help you. We're going to love you. We're going to keep your secrets closer than you would, and you'll never leave you alone. I just love the fact that Tolkien wrote into his stories his own experience. In fact, there's a scene I didn't think I could talk this much about the Lord of the Rings and not show you one little tiny clip here. There's a scene that's a really beautiful scene that's going to help us understand what we're talking about today when we talk about the theme of fellowship and, and true connectedness, life upon life. Frodo's from the return of the king, and Frodo is almost to the place where he's supposed to destroy the, the ring, and he is done. Have you ever felt just done? I'm exhausted. I'm tired, I'm done. Frodo was done. And Sam catches up to him. Well, you just have to see it for yourself. Let's watch this clip.
can carry you. See, as believers in our relationships, in our fellowship, in our connectedness, we have to do what Sam did for Frodo. We have to remind people of what matters. You remember what he said? He said, he said Frodo, do you remember the Shire? Do you remember the food, the strawberries, the grass, the beauty? He's reminding him of the things of life that matter. When things were easier, he's giving him hope. And as believers, that's what we're called to do for one another, give hope. Remind each other of what matters in the world, and that is God and the beautiful things of life that he's given us. And sometimes when you can't make it, you need a friend to come alongside and say, let me remind you of what matters. Remember his goodness. Remember his faithfulness. Remember the people who love you. And then sometimes in life, you can't even get up and we need people to go, you know what, I can't carry your burden. I can't carry your illness. I can't carry your struggle or your questions or the pain of something that happened in the past. I can't carry those things. You have to, but I can carry you. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful example of what it means to be in fellowship this morning. Will you turn in your Bibles as we look at God's word together? Acts 2, 42. We're gonna read this every week in our series. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad hearts and generous hearts, uh, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Will you, will you pray with me this morning as we get into our message? Father, Lord, we love you so much. And God, I'm so thankful for the beautiful picture that we see of this church. The beautiful values that make up what this church is about. And Lord, I pray that you would transfer those values from that time and place to this time and place into South City Church. God, that we would value these things and become the church that you want us to be, defined not by our experience or our tradition or by our country or by whatever the case may be, the church down the street. Lord, may you define our church by your word. Help us, Lord, to be a people uh, committed, devoted to that word. And help us to truly understand what it means to be in fellowship today. Lord God, I pray that by the power of your mighty spirit that you would lead us to all truth that you would uh, increase today, Father, that I would decrease. Lord, that you would have your way and that you'd give us courage to be obedient to whatever you ask of us. Help us to know you more, to fellowship with you and each other. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So last week we talked about something, you know, the first eight words, right? We're gonna make it 11 today, all right? Here we go, let's go 11 words here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So last week we talked about the apostles' teaching and the fact that people were devoted to that. Uh, of course, what they were teaching, I mentioned, was uh, the messianic aspects of the Old Testament. They were talking about Jesus' teaching when he was in ministry for three years. He, he spoke a lot. He taught a lot. 
but they were also preaching what the Holy Spirit was giving them as apostles. And so the Holy Spirit is, is giving them truth and speaking truth into their lives, and they're speaking it into the lives of believers. Those things together become the New Testament. And so people we see in this church were a committed group of people, devoted, loyal, faithful to the New Testament, right? And what the apostles were teaching them. So we too need to be a church committed to the Bible, to the New Testament, to be a New Testament church. And every church from that point on should be committed and devoted to the New Testament, to the Word of God. And then he goes on, and the next thing, and the next value that we see is fellowship. Fellowship, what, is, what does it mean? Is it, you know, when I was growing up, it might mean, hey, I, I recognize that guy from my church. I would think maybe we're in fellowship because I recognize him. I, I might know his name, I might know his occupation. Um, I might know that we go to church together. But can I just tell you, that's not what fellowship means. It doesn't even mean potluck, all right? Uh, all these things, for the most part, were kind of my experience growing up. I was very, it was very surface level for me at church. I didn't really live my life among people at church. I was private because I was fake. I wanted to live a separate life from the church that I lived in the church. So when I came to church, you would think I had it put together. You would think I had it all under, under wraps, that I was ready to go, that I loved God, that my life was seriously in obedience to him. It was not. I was a fake. I was a liar. I lied to myself. I lied to my parents. I lied to my God. Until one day it caught up to me and I thought I was going to die. And the Lord in his grace allowed me to live. And it's in that moment that I realized that God is a God of grace. And all the things that I've been taught all these years in this place were true. That he could have let me die, but he didn't. In his grace, he allowed me to live because he had a plan for my life. And guess what? He's got a plan for your life. If there's breath in your lungs, there's a purpose for your life. And it was at that point God began to change my understanding of the church and relationships began to go deeper and deeper. It's not that you can't have real solid relationships in a uh, not that relational of a church. I mean, you can form relationships anywhere. But I want to create the kind of culture in our church that that's the norm, not the exception, right? I want us to talk about relationships in such a way that you're in one, right? Not, oh, you, 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 know, you, you just kind of stumbled upon one. No, they need to be intentional in our lives. We have to make choices. And it's not easy to be intentional in fellowship. It's not easy to, to be intentional in real relationships that mean something. It's easy to eject because life is hard and you don't want to deal with it, but God has a purpose for enduring faith in his church. He wants to grow you to be who he wants you to be, and he can't do that if we just continue to eject from one church to another. I want to show you a picture this morning. This is a picture that's behind our graphic. We're going to take the graphic away so you can kind of see that picture a little bit better. On the left side is a picture of a church cut in half. And on the right side is a picture of a house. Now I did that because I was trying to communicate something. What's the church? Is it a building that we just say, hey, that's the church? 
Or is it a place where we live out day after day relationally the things of life and we put our faith into practice? See, the thing is, is neither one of those images is the church. You're the church. The church is not made up of wood and concrete and carpet. It's made up of heart and lives and dreams and relationships. But I would love for us to begin to try and define where that needs to take place more. Do we relegate our faith to one day of a week for an hour and a half and say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus and I put it over here from 10.30 until 12, like I did growing up. Or do we say, no, in my home, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord every day of the week. All that I am, in my work, I want people to know that I serve Jesus. In my community, I want them to know that I love Jesus. And the church ought to be all over your home, your neighborhood, in real relationships. So this is kind of how this happened. Uh, Of course, the early church we're studying in Jerusalem, uh, this is happening in the first century. So this is probably around 60 AD, something like that. Um, At 300 AD, so... 300, 250 years or more after uh, Jesus has come, Jesus is resurrected, Constantine, who is the emperor of Rome, decides he wants to build the first church building. And so he builds a a building in Jerusalem. He sends his mother to do all the the, the hard work, true. And he, he has her kind of scope out Jerusalem and try to find the place where Jesus was crucified. 300 years after it had been done, and and try to find his cross, which Catholics believe she found. Not likely. Um, But he builds this church, the first church building ever built. From that day forward, the church has become um, more corporate, more uh, organizational, less organic, and less relational. We can just go to a place together, call it fellowship, and not really have to live life with one another. Let me ask you this question. You think about your own church experience, okay? So I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions and you think about what your experience was in the church. Was your church more organizational or more organic? Was your church experience, if you had one, more religious? It was more about the rules that you followed and making sure that you checked all those boxes? Or was it more relational? Was your experience in the church more formal or more family-oriented? Was your experience more about a service than serving one another and the poor? Was your experience, you know, fairly a a traditional one? There's preaching and there's music and not a whole lot of talk about real discipleship, leaving that service for the rest of our week so that we can become who God wants us to become. We've all had different experiences. My question is, was your experience a surface experience or one that you truly felt supported by other disciples, that you felt loved, that it went deep, and we've all had different, that's, our answers will be all over the map. Some of us just knew names and faces and others knew stories and struggles. And there's a big difference. See, in the American church, it's easy to sort of just want to just skate on the surface 
I'll never forget one of our first What's Next groups, uh, one of the couples that was in the group. The wife said, we've been involved in this church, and we've had some issues that we've been working through, but we would never dare tell those issues to our, to our Sunday school group. Nobody shares anything like that. Like, Jesus said he came for the sick. The church is the place where we can be honest about who we are and the brokenness of our lives so that we can get better, so that he can change us into who he wants us to be. This ought to be the place where we can be the most real. When we look at our text this morning, it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That word fellowship in the Greek is, you've probably heard of this, koinonia, right? It doesn't just mean to be together. It doesn't just mean people standing around in a certain place named koinonia hall, right? Fellowship truly means to share something. That's what the definition of koinonia means. To be together, yes, but to share Share life, share stories, share questions, share issues, concerns, share brokenness, share resources. There's all sorts of sharing involved when you're truly in fellowship. Even at creation, God models for us koinonia, uh, the Trinity in creation. It says, let us make man in our image, right? There's, there's a, a fellowship there. Uh, in uh, creation of man, God realizes man's not good alone. He, he realizes that we need each other, that if we don't have people in our lives, it's, it doesn't work. We need to share life with each other. And so he says, it's not good for man to be alone, and he creates Eve. And just like Adam, we have to be connected in fellowship with God first before we can truly fellowship with anybody else. It's gotta work that way. We have to know Christ before we can truly live in fellowship with one another. This is the way Paul puts it in Philippians 3.10. He says, I wanna know the Lord, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Share, koinonia, fellowship with his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know him so much, I want, I want to share in suffering, I want to share in his death, I want to know everything I can know. Paul later on begins to speak to the, to the church community in Corinth, explaining how we fellowship with one another in good and bad. 1 Corinthians 9, 23, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might koinonia, share fellowship with them in its blessings. He's talking about the gospel. He's, this is the part right after where he had said, uh, all things to all people. I want to be all things to all people so that I can share the blessings of the gospel with all people. And then he says, even in suffering we do that. 2 Corinthians 1, 7, he says, our hope for you is unshaken for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. See, this is what it means to be a body of Christ that's truly in fellowship. We share in the good times. We share in suffering. We weep together, we laugh together, we rejoice together. We know each other in such a way that we are that deep in our fellowship. So there's no question, the word koinonia, the word fellowship, means to share, means to share life together. But it's, it's, there's something deeper here. In the body of Christ, in, the, in, in what we are called as a church, God is not calling us just to be friends. 
listen to me real quick. He's not calling us to hang out together. He's calling us as deeply as he can possibly call us to be family. There's a difference. He's calling us to be family. Share life together, yes, but also to become a family. In Paul's writings, he, used the word, he uses the word uh, brothers or brethren 120 times. Speaking of the family of God, the family of families. He also uses family language throughout his writings. He calls Timothy and Onesimus his son in the faith and his child in the faith. He calls Phoebe his sister. Countless examples through his writings of calling his companions and his, the people he's writing to as his brothers. He often speaks to church communities as beloved because he loves them. There's no question in Paul's life and Paul's ministry that he saw the church as a family. We say it all the time, right? Family of families. We use that phrase a lot because we want to get away from just being a service. We want to get away from just something that you come to and listen to for a little bit and go and, and maybe come back next week. No, we want to be a family. We want to go deeper even than friends. We want to go to family level. That's what God wants of us. In fact, Jesus spoke about the family of God as disciples. Look with me, Matthew 12, 46. This is what Jesus says. He says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my, mother, uh, is my brother, sister, and mother. What's Jesus saying? He's saying if your blood family doesn't live for Christ, then God in his grace and goodness gives you an alternate family. Some of you know what that feels like to, not, to have a family that doesn't support you as a believer. They're not, really, they're not their thing. And therefore it feels like you're just hitting a ceiling in conversation, in relationship, in the things that matter. And yet you can come to the Lord's house and come to the Lord's people and, and feel like you can go deep in relationship and feel loved like you've never felt loved before. Because he wants us to not just be friends, he wants us to be family. I remember I, I was talking to a guy we baptized a few years ago here. And I kept talking about family, family. He stopped me, he goes, hey, can I just stop you for a second? I was like, sure. He goes, I didn't have a good family. I didn't have a good father. I didn't have a good mother, and I didn't have a good family, so I, I don't really relate when you talk about family. Listen, can I just acknowledge, I realize that's some of your experience. And I want to say I'm sorry for that. But because, even just because you have a dysfunctional understanding of family doesn't mean that it can't be redeemed. It doesn't mean that God can't help you redefine, even as we're trying to redefine the church and understand it from a biblical perspective. God wants to redefine in your life what family really is, what it means to have brothers and sisters that are committed to you, that love you, they don't bail at the first opportunity that they can because they're family. That's what Jesus was saying. You know, in our Western culture, we've talked about this before, the American church, we, we have this sort of rugged individualism, don't we? That's what America's in ways defined as. But when you look at the early church, individualism is almost nowhere to be found. We use a phrase, my personal savior, Jesus. 
We, we use those kind of phrases about us individually. But I want you to know the church was not an individual consideration. It was a group, very tightly connected. Even look at Jesus' prayer that he's teaching the disciples, the Lord's Prayer. Did Jesus say, my Father, who art in heaven? Is that what he said? No, he's teaching them how to pray. And how does he teach them to pray? Does he teach them to pray individualistically? No, they're part of a group. He says, our Father. Jesus doesn't say, Lord, give me my daily bread and forgive me of my faults. No, he says, Lord, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It is a communal prayer. It is a communal understanding of life in Christ. It's not just about you as an individual. In Paul's writings, he writes 53 times, our Lord, compared to one time where he said, my Lord. What do you think that's about? That's about a communal understanding of what the church is to be. It's to be a fellowship that's more than friends. It's to be a family sharing life together. It was more than sharing experiences and, and resources. It's about loving one another. In fact, it's about redefining what we understand as loving one another. Jesus prayed this prayer uh, in John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, and I'm gonna redefine love for you, Jesus says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. And if you have love for one another. Jesus says to the disciples, I have to redefine love for you. Before I said, love your neighbor as yourself. But now we're going to ramp it up even higher and say, as believers in Christ, we got to love like Jesus. And he has a sacrificial love. We talked about that in our series called Neighbor. Love like him. He takes it up a notch. I love this quote from one of the early church fathers. His name was Irenaeus. He lived in the second century, about 175. This was a description he gave of the church. He said, the church, although scattered in the whole world, diligently guards as if it lived in one house, <laughs> believes like uh, the above as if it had one mind and the same heart and preaches and teaches and hands on these things harmoniously as if it had but one mouth. And although there are different languages in the world, the force of the tradition is one and the same. Isn't that beautiful? 150 years after this Jerusalem church we're looking at is still living in unity. It's still living in this beautiful understanding of what the body of Christ is to be. Living out Jesus' prayer, literally. They had one heart, and they loved one another. Paul gives us some qualities when he's speaking to his churches. Right, I'm going to shotgun some verses at you real quick, okay? You awake? If you're taking notes, you're going to go by fast. But I want you to see some of Paul's encouragement to his church communities about how to love one another and how to, to care for one another in fellowship. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, and may the Lord may, uh, make you increase and abound in love for one another for, uh, and for all as we do for you. Of course, we're familiar with the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's talking about this is what you ought to embody with one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, 
that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's sharing, isn't it? Sharing in suffering, sharing in rejoicing. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you realize if we did that, we would revolutionize our church? We couldn't keep people out of our church if we actually cared more about their interests than ours. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, the church, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Have you ever heard of this phrase, the one another's? I'm sure you have. People have been around the church. It's a really interesting list uh, throughout Scripture where we're given these commands. They're not really suggestions. They're commands. Uh, a couple of the ones that I just read are in that list. Where the Bible says, this is how you live in community together. This is how you live in fellowship with one another. I want you to listen to these. I'm not going to give the Scripture address. I'm just going to give you the command. And I want you to ask your heart, am I doing that? Are we doing that as a church? Can we begin to do that as a church? Can we learn? Can we be forgiven? Can we change? Listen to some of these. Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Have the same care for one another. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Bearing with one another in love. Be kind to one another. Forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Increase and abound in love for one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Seek to do good to one another. Exhort one another every day. Every day? Whoa, wait a minute. How can you do that if all you do is come to Sunday church? That's not, right? No, it's, it's supposed to be life. Upon life, we need to walk life with one another and care for one another enough that we can call sometime during the week. We can grab coffee and we can be obedient to stir one another up to love and good works and exhort one another every day. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. We have fellowship with one another. You know, I've been letting this list sort of just soak into my heart and my soul, and I just was, I was telling Lori on the way to church this morning. You know, our culture has become 
one in the church where we're, we're, we're not as loyal. And when something gets bumpy, when a relationship gets bumpy, when the pastor says something that hurts you or makes you feel something, or when somebody didn't notice you, or whatever the case may be, and we all get our feelings hurt, and we all because we're human beings, right? It's so easy to eject sometimes. Sometimes you need to eject. Sometimes there's, there's seasons and there's things where you need to be in a new family, and I get that. But the church was meant for, for endurance. How do you know that? Because I know if you don't endure in a church, how do you do these things? Right? How do you have a chance to forgive unless you've been offended? How do you have a chance to, to, to care for one another and put others' interest above yourself if it's, it's an imperfect place? And guess what? South City is an imperfect place with imperfect people and a chief of all sinners as a pastor. Listen, as we look at this text this morning, the first two values that we see are a devotion, a loyalty, a commitment to the word of God. We all need that. And I pray that this is sparking even an interest in your own heart to get into the word. Whether it's just to read in the mornings or in the evenings or to have a plan on you version on your smartphone or maybe it's just an Our Daily Bread Bible, whatever the case may be, but we honor the word and we want to put it into our lives and live by it, learn from it. I've given you quite a few that you could study today. We also need to be a church of the word of God, devoted to the word of God, and we need to be devoted to each other. You know, our What's Next group, uh, to become a member of our church, we call them partners. It's a little harder than other churches, I think. A lot of churches you can go say, hey, I like that, I like the way the place looks, I like this guy, I like the music, cool. But honey, let's go down front and we'll sign our name on a thing and we'll join. It's pretty easy. That's not our process here. It takes seven or eight weeks to go through a process with us where you come to our what's next group and we share our stories and we talk about who Jesus is to us and what do we believe as a church and what are our core values of a church. The number one, the first one is transformative discipleship. We want to be disciples, authentic disciples who know Jesus and make him known and make other disciples. And we want to tell you all the things that we want to be as a church so that you can have a fully informed understanding of who we are and who we want to be. We don't want a thousand people on our rows on our rolls and a hundred people in service. We don't want that. In fact, I was filling something out the other day for a network we're a part of and and it asked how many people we have coming to our service and then how many partners we have. And we have more partners than we have people, or we have more uh, guests coming than we do partners. It's, it's different than what many of us are used to as a church. There's a level of commitment, and the reason we do that is because we're trying to show you there is a value to being a part of the family of God. And it ought to be a high value. In fact, we have a covenant at the end of that what's next process where we say, we value this family so much, we want to be in covenant. We want to love and we want to put our lives to the fact that we want to be believers. That's all it says, that live our lives in a way that honor the Lord and love people. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. True relationships. 
They were sharing life with one another, right? They just weren't together. They were truly sharing life together, sharing hurts, sharing victories, sharing difficulties. And then they were becoming a family. And they were learning to love like Jesus. Can I remind you, the church is not a building. It's a people committed to Jesus, committed to one another. The church is a group of imperfect people surrendered to a perfect Savior. Where we become more like Christ in this sanctification process. We learn how to love. We put that up there. I think it's still up there. Yeah, it's not too late, by the way, to, to come to what's next. Uh, it happens on Wednesday. I mentioned this in the, in the welcome. Wednesdays at 6 o'clock. Hope that you could join us if you want to know a little bit more about us. Can I just tell you this, though, as we close? Real fellowship, real sharing life together, it won't happen, autom- it won't happen uh, easily, automatically, um, by accident. You may not know this about me because I get up here and speak all the time, but my personality type is more of an introvert. If you found me in a coffee shop, I'd be the guy in the corner of my computer like that. That's who, that's who I am. But I realized in order to pastor people and to care for people, I got to come out of my personality type, even though it's uncomfortable, and be a little bit more outgoing and say, hi, hi, and, and put my heart out there and love a little bit more and be a little bit more uh, enthusiastic, a little bit more welcoming to, to try and be kind, to try and love, even though my personality is to be a little shy. Let me show you what the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 24. It says, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. Do you want to be friends? Do you want to have friends? Do you want to have relationships? Then you have to commit to relationship. You have to be friendly to get friends. I tell our girls this all the time. This is what I'm trying to say. You might come into the church and go, hey, I kind of like this place. To really be a part of South City, you have to be a part of a city group. To really be a part of our family, you've got to be connected to a group. And our groups are multicultural and multigenerational. They're not divided by age or anything else, life, or even geographically. We have people that go to different parts of the city. They're all over our city. And that is the expression of our church as the family of God. That's it. And so I want to just encourage you, if you're not a part of one, Come talk to me. Come talk to Daryl. We'd love to plug you into one, okay? Don't just attend a service. Be part of a family. And honestly, that's how we define the church as we continue to look through these values. So they shared life together. They were becoming a family, not just friends, becoming a family, and they were learning to love like Jesus. That's what it means to be in fellowship with one another. I want us to close this morning with a, a quote from a hero of the faith, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, interesting man. He actually was hung just days before the concentration camp that he was in was liberated, just days, because he was believed to be a part of a conspiracy to try and assassinate Adolf Hitler. And he was also a pastor, (laughs) and so in that concentration camp, he pastored and counseled and told people about Jesus. He wrote several amazing books. Um, One of those books is about fellowship, about community. It's called Life Together. He says this, it is a grace, nothing but grace that we're allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. 
It's a grace. What a blessing that we can have not just friends but family, that we can become more like Christ because of those people. It's a grace. We have to be intentional, though, okay? Be intentional about your relationships. Seriously, it may be so awkward for your personality type to come up to talk to me and go, I think I need to get in the city group. Push through. Push through to the things that matter most. Just as Sam whispered to Frodo, can I remind you of the things that matter? Right? Faith, hope, love. Knowing Christ, being loved by his people. Loving people, serving people in need. Can I just remind you of the things that matter and say if your life is surrounded by your life and you're living this individualistic reality, that's not, that's not a godly thing. That's not a godly look. God has called us to live in community. He's called us to walk life together, to share life, to be a family, and to love like Jesus. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful glimpse of this church in Jerusalem. It it seems too good to be true in many ways, Lord. But as we look at these values, God, I pray that you would truly help us to seek what what it means for our own lives to be more like this church, to be more aligned with these values that we see happening in their lives, in the life of their church. God, would you help us to be devoted to your word? Father, would you help us to be devoted to each other in real fellowship? Not a surface relationship, not I think that guy goes to my church, but can we learn to walk life with one another? Even when we disagree, even when uh, there's a uh, mistake, even when we need to forgive, so that we can grow deeper in relationship? God, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to be that people? How can we fulfill these commands you've given us to love, do these one another's, if we so easily detach and give up? Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that as partners or or potential partners of South City Church, God, help us to dig down deep. Not in surface relationships with you or anyone else. May we dig deep with you in your word. Dig deep in our relationships with each other so that we have a support system. We're not tossed about in the waves, God, of this crazy world we live in, but that we are founded in you and we're becoming like you as we become a family, as we share life and as we learn to love like Jesus, God. Help us, I pray, this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.